Welcome back to the New Mexico Rising podcast. This is your host, Amanda Aragon, Executive Director of New Mexico Kids Can. Today, we are excited to welcome Yolanda Montoya Cordova, President of the Albuquerque Public Schools Board of Education. This episode is a great addition to our last episode, which featured an interview with the new New Mexico Secretary of Education, Dr. Arsenio Romero. We are so lucky to have spent time with Secretary Romero discussing his background, his past work in districts across New Mexico, and his aspirations for his new role. The Secretary of Education plays a tremendous role in New Mexico's education landscape. I encourage you to head back to the feed after today's episode to listen to our conversation with Secretary Romero. In addition to Secretary Romero's episode, we have six other episodes for you to catch. Make sure to listen to them all and be inspired by New Mexico school leaders, educators, and advocates who are making tremendous differences for our communities. Speaking of our past episodes, we would love to hear your feedback. You can share your thoughts by emailing us at rising at nmkidscan.org, or even better, rate us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Please share our podcast with your networks. We need your help to make this podcast a success and help our fellow New Mexicans understand what is happening in New Mexico's education system while being inspired by what's possible. All right, back to today's guest. Today we are proud to welcome Yolanda Montoya Cordova to the New Mexico Rising podcast. Yolanda is a lifelong resident of APS's District 1. She attended local schools Kit Carson Elementary, Ernie Pyle Middle School, and graduated from Rio Grande High School. Go Ravens! Yolanda lived in Texas for 15 years, and upon her return to New Mexico in 2004, she and her late husband built a home in the South Valley. She is the proud mother of one daughter who resides in Portland and a bonus mom to her late husband's three children who all reside in New Mexico, all of whom have children attending public schools. Ms. Montoya Cordova believes that education is a major contributor to important skill development related to positive relationships, community and civic engagement, personal decision-making, and economic success for individuals their families, and the community. She works hard to shine a light on the many successes and resilience of the rich culture and history of District 1 students and schools. Board President Montoya Cordova's favorite part of being a board member is meeting with the community, getting to know the teachers, the students, and the parents. She enjoys listening to their concerns and their ideas about what directions they'd like to see APS go. She considers having the capacity to listen to people and bring that back to the board in honor. President Montoya Cordova, welcome to New Mexico Rising. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about doing this with you today. It's been a long time coming. I think we talked about having you on a couple months ago, but mm-hmm. time flies, and you've certainly been busy on the board. Yes, you know, and I just want to say I really appreciate your support for the board and the work that we're doing around goal setting and Um, It's been great to just have you in the audience, so cheering us on for that, for sure. Literally cheering. I think that was the one day where we had some people that clapped, and I was like, I don't think we're allowed to do this, but okay, let's clap. Um, So excited to tell the audience more about all of that incredible work. But before we go there, let's start with just like your personal history with Albuquerque Public Schools. You're a product of Albuquerque Public Schools. How was that experience for you? What were the highs and the lows? Well, you know, it it, it was... um, not having gone anywhere else, right? My family is like four generations from the South Valley. So my parents actually, my mom went to Ernie Pyle Middle School too. I didn't have Rio Grande at that time, so my parents went to Albuquerque High. Uh, But my parents didn't finish school. And um, 
So all of our relatives have always lived in that area, and uh, we're really staunch um, advocates for our community. We loved it, and there's lots of things going on there. Um, I personally loved my school experience, and I think it was simply because it was um, it was my community. I went with all my cousins. I went with my friends from my neighborhood, and so it had a really good feeling to it. And I remember the highs for me with school uh, growing up, there were three things that really resonated with me or my highs. One is when I went to elementary school, I got to go with my mom. My mom worked in the cafeteria. She started out as a cafeteria worker, and she wanted to do that because she wanted to be close to us. So she wanted to keep an eye on us is what I'm pretty sure it was all about. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> yeah. But my Aunt Sophie was also the cook in the cafeteria. So it was really a community thing. And so that was one of my highs is that it felt very safe and it felt like family, it felt like my community was there with me. And then I remember the second part that was a real high for me is Kit Carson at that time had a really robust after-school program. And um, my parents actually studied, they got their high school equivalency uh, studies through, through that program. So while they were studying for their diplomas and to finish up high school, my brothers and I were taking courses. We were, I remember I took a little dance class with Ballet Folklorico mm -hmm. with YDI was getting started at that time. One brother was in photography and my younger brother was always in tutoring. Poor Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> he, he always seemed to be the one that needed the extra support and the extra help. But I'm sure we all ended up doing that. But it was a, it was a really touching moment when um, the big celebration was all these parents who had studied for this actually got to graduate. And so I was in fifth grade and I remember my parents walking across the stage getting their diploma. And so that was like a really important moment. It just left this indelible mark in my heart. And so when community schools were coming to Albuquerque, I went, I went to a community school. That's exactly what it was where there was these extra supports and we could do these other things. And then, of course, the other high for me was my own graduation um, because my parents were so proud um, to, to know that, you know, I was the oldest in all of my relatives and, you know, I was the first grandkid. So to, to, to be the first to graduate from um, all of my cousins and my parents knowing that they had just, you know, done what they had done too when we were younger, it was a really important day for everybody. So graduation was a huge event. And... Um, the lows of being in the community were, I would say the most difficult part was always hearing um, statements that were made about the South Valley, yeah. that, you know, we didn't have good schools, that we didn't have a great community, and that in order to get ahead, you had to leave. And I remember feeling like that as a kid. Um, because my cousins, I had relatives who didn't live in the South Valley and who were going to other schools, and there was kind of like this, you know, they, they would sort of be, I wouldn't say it was like looking down on us, but they would make these comments about, oh, you guys go to those schools. Yeah. And I remember going to UNM and someone saying, oh, you went to Rio Grande. You know, it was like, yeah, but it was a great school. I mean, I, there was a lot of things that it prepared me for, and there were things that it didn't prepare me for, but it was still nonetheless a good school. And so that was the low. I think the lowest part was just feeling that sense that I was not coming from a great community or that something was amiss um, because 
the schools somehow just didn't measure up or we were missing something. Right, right. There's so many similarities in our stories except for my whole family was in the South Valley and in um, the Rio Grande feeder pattern. They actually all went to Albuquerque High, which is where all of our dads my dad's one of five boys, and so they were all Albuquerque High graduates, and their kids then all transferred to Albuquerque High. But we were the family that moved, and so when we moved to Rio Rancho, I had kind of this like dissonance experience where I'm in Rio Rancho and I'm you know attending one of the quote unquote best public high schools in the state, but all my cousins are like doing these things together, um, and so that like educational reality of I didn't get to go to school with. My cousins on that side. Um, I did get to go to school with some of my cousins on my mom's side, but um, it was like really interesting in the way that that played out in our family dynamics. I think is something that actually has like led me to do the work we do today, and is such an important part of our stories and what we bring to the work. And that's that definitely resonates with me because it was one of the reasons too that I've I've pretty much dedicated my career also to public service and public administration. I've been involved in education and social work, um, community organizing, things that would help to, to build a community, to, to really build off the resilience, if you will, from a community perspective and the things, the strengths that they have so that we can move forward. I've always ended up working in communities that looked very similar to the South Valley. So when I came back, I remember, well, first of all, I remember being away from Albuquerque and always somehow ending up in a community that looked like Albuquerque or felt like Albuquerque. And so when I came home, I was like, I want to go home. You know, I want to go back to my community. And it was with a lot of intentionality. Um, I wanted to be part of the solutions for my community and being, uh, you know, just somehow being able to give back and continuing to build what I think is a tremendous amount of resilience and strength that comes out of that community. my brother, you know, I have two brothers that came out of that community. One of them's a medical doctor. The other one is also a social worker. And so I know that, you know, somehow it prepared us in some really grand ways for us to be able to do the things that we were able to do. And I've seen, you know, through this work, um, just some of the students that are coming out of that area are pretty incredible. And they are stepping into to places. But I understand the concern why it's not more right right? we still have to have more of that Um, but I just also want students in that area to to know how proud I am of the community that I'm part of and how proud I want them to feel of the community that they're part of as well and that they can make a difference for that community yeah absolutely so you you talked a lot about wanting to come back and be a part of the solution did you ever imagine that part of that would include being on the school board? What made you decide to pursue <laughs> public service specifically through the Board of Education at, at New Mexico's, not just a school district, but New Mexico's largest school district, the one that everyone watches to say, like, exactly. what are we doing? No, I never thought I would be on a school board. That was not, I just didn't even plan for that, for, for sure. It's really interesting because when I came back to New Mexico, I was working with the Department of Health. I was the director of school health, so school and adolescent health. And subsequently, we were, um, I was involved with school boards across the state because it had a lot to do with school nursing. We were doing youth suicide prevention at the time. We were building school-based health centers statewide. So I was before several school boards um, across the state trying to promote school health and all of these things that we were wanting to do to 
um, just to make you know school health and health education front and center. So, so that was really like my first, and it was not well, I shouldn't say this was not really my first time before school boards because when I was in Texas, I was also part of the Developmental Disabilities Council. So we did a lot of advocacy work with school boards and with parents. I worked primarily with parents who had children with disabilities and helping them to prepare for IEPs and helping them to advocate for themselves during IEPs. So I had this experience with schools, but I never really thought I was going to be on a school board. <laughs> and it all happened so quickly. I mean, it really did. There was an opening. Um, I, was, I was appointed on the first round. And it literally was like two weeks. I mean, I threw my hat in the ring and I went thinking pretty much I said well you know maybe I could make an important contribution I know it's going to be competitive and two weeks later I was on the board (laughs) (laughs) two weeks later they announced I was on the board and I was appointed and so it was it was definitely you know was a big surprise. I remember going to the the forum that you all hosted at Rio Grande Mm -hmm. and sitting and, and hearing I think there were five of you maybe I think at that time there were only three because there were first there were five of us, but then two had dropped. And by that okay. time, there were yep. only three of us, three candidates. And we were in this, you know, in the, <laughs> in the drama club or in the drama in the drama room at Rio Grande. And it was so surreal because I remember, first of all, that facility was built like in my senior year. <laughs> it was like the, that was the last time I saw that Some facility. Nostalgia. So it was pretty nostalgic for sure. But well, it's. Know. I, I always appreciate people who respond the same way you do. Uh, most school board members are like, no, I never planned on being on the school board. And I think um, it's a testament to the organic nature of kind of serving where you're called um, and and leading where where mm-hmm. your community needs you. So we appreciate it. Well, thank you. And, you know, I've always have been I've always done that work, too. So I've been in public administration for as long as I can remember I went. My undergraduates from UNM, my graduate degrees from UT Austin, and it's always been focused on community work anyway. So I, um, it didn't seem unnatural, you know. It just was not something I had, you know. It's like I'm going to go to college so I can become a board member. Right. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever does that. Um, but I'm hoping that with the way that we're switching some of the things that we're doing on our governance structure, that it becomes more. Um, that it, that it feels for people a little bit more something that they can do. Yeah. Because what I really realized when I was doing this and I stepped in is I had a lot of ability to, I had a lot of readiness for it. Plus I also had a lot of availability to do it. And um, even though I was working full time um, because of my background and some of the things I was doing, and the fact that I wasn't really, you know, kind of hunkered down with like kids who are going to school because I, you know, I'm taking care of an aging mom. But that's not how it should be. Right. I really feel like our board members, um, I have grandkids in the district, so don't get me wrong. I'm really <laughs> concerned, and I think everybody should be concerned about the school board. I think the school board belongs to all of us, and mm-hmm. the school district belongs to all of us, and we all have a role to play. Um, but I'm so grateful that the board right now consists also of, of individuals who have children at the district and their parents. Yep. Um, but we also have to make sure that we can make it work for people that are working full time. Because um, I'll tell you, my first my first four years on the board were intense. Um, I was I was doing a lot, trying to work full time and do all these committee meetings. 
So it became a little unwieldy, but I think the way that we're setting things up now, it's going to be much better. I'm excited about all the work that you guys are doing, so let's jump in. You guys have so much going on right now. Um, And some of the most strategic work is the creation of the strategic plan and the shift to student outcomes-based governance. What can you share with us about the importance of this work and what it means for APS moving forward? You know, this is my sixth year on the board. So after the first two years appointment, I made a decision to run. And I think at that point, you know, you're definitely reading. I wanted to run because I knew I wanted to continue some of the work, that there's still work ahead that we need to do that um, will help us to be better at this. I'm really excited about the student outcomes focused governance. It was really the first time for me as a board member that there was some coaching and some guidance and training for us as board members that was significantly different than what we had been getting. It was focused on student outcomes, which is why we exist. And so most of the training that board members get um, the majority of the time is on all the administrative things like the budget, the policies, and we really don't talk a lot and we don't get a lot of training on what does it mean really to be student outcomes focused. So I was really excited about that. And what it came with was like all the things I love as a social worker. It came with all of this opportunity to engage the community. Um, So going out to the community and listening to the community tell us what they valued, what they really wanted to see students be able to know and do, and really gathering that information and looking at it all together and then pinpointing exactly where we need to be and then communicating that back to the community makes so much sense. Um, Because I have felt in the past what we were doing is like, Things would come at us as school board members, but we weren't necessarily directing it. Yeah. And this is all directed by the, by the board. We set the pace. You know, we're setting what we believe um, the goals ought to be. But we're also not just setting those in a vacuum by ourselves because we represent a constituency, and our goal and our job is literally to listen to that. And so coming together and putting that together and then saying to the district, here's what the community is asking us to do, and here's what's most important, and here are the goals that we're going to address. And I've, I just love that. It makes so much sense. Um, in the past, we've had like frameworks, we've had strategic plans, but a lot of it was addressed by the district itself, sort of saying, here's how we're going to go forward mm-hmm. and do it. And I remember sitting on the board saying, is, is that really what we want? <laughs> you know, Is that really? And it made a lot of sense. And I'm not trying to uh, disparage the district because I think they work incredibly hard. We have some incredibly talented people there for sure. But I think even for them, taking the step back and going through that pace of actually doing the community engagement and listening to that so that we also, as board members and district staff, could really see where there was a lot of similarity in the way we were all thinking. and There was a lot of agreement, but then also looking at places where there were distinctions and why there were distinctions uh, was really helpful. So it's helped us a lot with why, why we're doing this and what we need to do. I love the tie to <clears throat> all of your community building work because, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is the chosen governance structure that we have for Amer- American public education. You elect people who then lead 
your local school district um, in, in major ways by setting the direction of the district and the policies of the district, hiring and firing a superintendent and approving a budget. And so I think seeing you all step into that role of kind of owning that vision and and plan right. has been really in very cool to see. And I think I'm hoping will lead to a more engaged community because if they feel part of it on the front end, which I think many people did, and you all are inviting their feedback as it's implemented to say, hold us and the district accountable to these things that we mutually agreed upon. That's a more comfortable space to step into versus I don't really know what's going on. I'm like trying to watch board meetings, but you guys have a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and hopefully, you know, but the other important part, Amanda, that's going to be so cool about this is that our board meetings on the first and third Wednesday of every month are going to have a student outcomes focus section. We're going to always talk about student outcomes and where are we, what are the, you know, what's happening. So right now we've got our goals, we've got our guardrails, and we'll be coming up with a monitoring schedule so that part of every meeting there will be a monitoring process for each of those goals and each of those guardrails so that we're also talking about, well, where are we? How's it going? And not as a gotcha governance, but also to just sort of ask those more strategic questions, right? Like, how is it working and why is it working? Um, and if it's not, what are some of the challenges? What are the things that maybe we need to shift out and we need to think about? Or how is the district thinking about that? So that we're not just waiting to the end of an assessment and we all look at that and we all go, oh, darn. You know, but, or yay, celebration, <laughs> which I'm hoping is where we're going to be. But that we're looking at it at really strategic times throughout the year so that when it comes to the end for this full assessment, we kind of all been engaged in understanding where we're heading and why it's going to turn out that way or what's going to, you know, where, where, where we've been and, and what we've either had to shift up and what we're going to do differently. Um, I know for me personally as a school board member, um, it's helped me um, just to think a little bit more strategically about the kinds of questions that I need to ask with the district staff. And, um, and it also has helped me be a better um, responder to my community. Because, you know, being in that role of, you know, most board members are in the role of like, hey, you know, there's no hot water in the, in the bathrooms. That's not our role, you right. know. And, but being able to listen to the community and say, I know you're really concerned about that, and I am too. And let's talk about why you're concerned about that. Oh, it's a health issue. I get that. You know, but let me gently kind of steer you into the right direction because as board members, that's not the space that we're in. We're in the space of really focusing on student outcomes. And I want you to have a really good relationship back with your principal and back with the superintendent and the district staff because we really need to foster that relationship with our community too. They need to know where that customer service comes from, from those kinds of questions. I really appreciate your comments about, you know, all these monitoring systems and so that it's not a surprise Mm -hmm. and that when there is success, it's like can be more celebrated because it's intentional. It's not just like, oh, we went up a point like, great. It's more like, oh, yes, we did all of these things so that Mm -hmm. in five years we can experience minimum 10 percentage point growth in, in reading and math or 
that we're putting our high school students on stronger pathways to whatever their post mm-hmm. high school plans are and like to see those represented in the four goals that you all have adopted which listeners if you haven't gone to the APS website and <laughs> looked at the four goals and the guardrails you should absolutely do that but I think I'll speak for myself but I've heard from other people in the community it it feels refreshing to be able to see something concrete and say like okay I know what direction we're headed and then in my individual role as a parent as a student as an educator I now know and I think this will come with greater clarity as the strategic plan is finalized but I know what my role is in contributing to this like team goal that we have Mm -hmm. as team APS if Mm -hmm. you will. You know and the other part is and I, I didn't say this but you know we went out to the community to gather all that but it wasn't a one and done so it's like going continuously out back to the community too so that we're giving them an opportunity to even see it in the interim right so that it's not just Uh, You know, some parents will say, oh, yeah, you guys have a strategic plan, but we never really hear about it. And then it's a plan, but none of us are really engaged in it. Student Outcomes Focused Governance is very intentional around that continuous improvement and that continuous communication. And so I'm really excited about that opportunity, too, that we go back out, we lead with this, this is where we are, here's some of the things that are happening, what are your thoughts on that? So that the community feels engaged, but they also have buy-in to really supporting those goals. What I'm really excited about, too, is that those goals are also helping to guide the budget planning, right? So now we're looking at budgets around how are investments being made to support a particular goal. So if the school... And, you know, we still do that site budgeting, right, where we, we want to give that principal and the team that opportunity to say, what do we need? What do we have? We're looking at our data. We're looking at our students. What's our makeup? But here's what the, you know, this is what the goal is, and this is where we're going to head. How are we going to get there? And sort of looking how they're going to use those resources to really move that. And, you know, it's like I was listening to the podcast with Secretary Romero, and I really appreciate when he said, you know, we have to do more than move the needle, because it's not just about moving the needle. It's really about changing our behaviors and really changing the way that we're doing business a little bit. And so I'm really excited about that. And we're already starting to see it in the way that budget's being prepared and that budget's being presented to us. So I think there will be a lot more transparency also for parents and understanding why we're making this investment or we're, we're choosing to use our funds. This is because we're also you know, a school may have a real big goal of getting to this big piece around literacy or whether it's numeracy or college readiness. I'm just, I think we could both spend (laughs) a half a day talking about um, this part of the work of the board. You also have another very large challenge, and I'll um, caveat this by saying you guys are in the middle of figuring out the new school calendar. And for our listeners, (laughs) I think you just got guidance from the PED today. So no one expects uh, you to have all the answers in this conversation, but we just appreciate hearing this. These are big decisions. Yeah. These are big decisions about how are we going to make sure that this increased instructional time mandated by the state is, is actually, as, as yeah. effective as, as possible. Um, so we'd just love to hear any thoughts you have. You know, um, and thank you for bringing that. We did have a survey out, you know, and parents sometimes are really so tired. It's like, why are you asking again? We already told you we don't want to do this. This is really a different question, right? Because now it's mandated. Yep. I mean, legislatively, and you know, they've they've asked us to increase instructional time, and so 
the, the board is going to be tomorrow night. Is going to be you know on April third. What's tomorrow? April April fourth, fifth. fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I should have remembered that. My mom's birthday was yesterday, the third. So, so April fifth will be you know um, getting calendars be- before us so that we can make some decisions about what we need to do. We need to remind the community is that sometimes. You know, we're having to make these decisions, too, right on the heels of a legislative session because it just got signed on the 16th of, mm-hmm. of March, right? And so here we are. That doesn't give us a lot of time. It doesn't, you know, it's it, in, a, in a perfect world, we would have done this completely differently, but we're not in a perfect world right now. So I think we're going to have to, we're going to try on a couple of, there's a couple of calendars that we're probably going to consider, and we're going to have to try on something and see how it goes and you know, see how it plays out. I, it's probably not going to be perfect, um, but I think you know it gives us a, a play for the first round, so that we can see how we're going to do that to increase that instructional time, but also making sure that we're also honoring that professional development time that mm-hmm. needs to be in there, which is really critical because we're not going to move anything and we're not going to increase anything if we are also not paying attention to what our staff needs in order to be able to do it well. Because I have heard over and over again, too, it's not just the length of the day. It's also what you put into the day. Correct. And so um, I think we're going to have to be really cognizant of that. And so I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a big shift for everybody. But I also hear some enthusiasm out there as well um, because I think our community is also ready for, you know, increased time. I think they're really aware of, you know, some of the struggles that we've had over the last couple of years and – um, I think there's, they're, they're anticipating it um, much more than they were last year when we had proposed <laughs> extending the days. So I think it's going to be a good thing, but it's going to be, it's still going to be a struggle no matter how we, how we go through this. Yeah, I definitely will remind our listeners um, and emphasize, you know, the challenges that you laid mm-hmm. out, which is this just got past this session. Um, it's an urgent need, I think, mm-hmm. across the state. That's what the data is telling us. So it. It's not like we could wait a year and say we'll implement it next right. year. So between the bill passing <laughs> and literally districts 20 days <laughs> creating, especially in rural areas where mm-hmm. the board might only meet once a month, like there's mm-hmm. a very tight timeline to get this plan to the department so that then you all can turn in your budgets on the budget timeline that has to be, I think, submitted sometime in the next month so that then they can be approved and that money can start flowing at the beginning of the fiscal year. So. I think for all those people wondering, we, we're doing this really quick. We are, and it's kind of necessary to make sure whoop, all the other Legos, Legos <laughs> dominoes. Well, I'll tell you, for a district like APS, it's not simple because um, what it means is, you know, the scheduling of time, buses. I just want yeah. to say buses and the number of kids that we transport in the city. It's, it's enormous. So we got to make sure that we also can put a schedule together that can get kids to the right place at the right times and be able to do all that, you know, with what we have in play. And then, you know, also taking into consideration, um, uh, you know, some some pieces that schools are doing. I mean, we do have some schools that already have been on extended calendars. So what are we going to do with that and how is that going to fit in? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to consider when you're a district our size. The rural communities have, you know, it's it's a little bit simpler because they're not moving as many schools and they're right. not moving as many students. But for APS, it's definitely, it's a beast. It is a beast. Mm-hmm. And, and the last uh, 
thing I'll ask of listeners and all those weighing in <laughs> through this process is to remember, I always ask people when they when they call and say, I want to talk about this calendar that APS is proposing, or I say, you absolutely have every right to advocate based on what your family wants. And I would ask that you step a little bit out of your own shoes and remember that these seven women <laughs> are elected and trying to figure out what works for every child, whether they're in the South Valley or the Northeast Heights or Corrales or the International District. Yes. It's it's not just about what works for one family at one school and one attendance zone. It is about what is the best approach for a district of 70,000 plus students. And so um, I hope that people remember that as we kind of go through this together as a community and figure out how to give yeah. our students and families what they need. And I will say for the most part, the constituents out there are actually pretty forgiving. I, I will say, you know, having been on the board, this is my sixth year, having had to make some hard decisions, you know, there is definitely um, a sentiment out there that, um, and I hope people realize and that listeners realize is that we're all part of a community, mm -hmm. right? And so, it's not just what's best for me and my family, but, you know, sort of think about your neighbors down the street or the family, you know, whose who's both parents are working and they have crazy schedules. What does that look like and how do we all, you know, just come as a community to support one another so that we can make that happen? Um, but I have found that the community tends to be pretty forgiving. Yep. And so I'm, I'm just going to rest on that and believe that that continues to happen. And I, uh, another plug for the, the goals and the strategic plan, I think because we've all been a part of that. And if everything aligns back to that, we can all collectively say like, oh, we're on this journey together. This is, I might not like this piece of the journey, but I see where we're going and we're going there together, so. And when we're all celebrating, because we're gonna be celebrating. We're gonna be celebrating. We're gonna be celebrating. Um, I think the community is gonna be really happy with themselves and they should be because they're also in this process making decisions with us and I want that com full community celebration because it's we're going to be celebrating it's there's going to be, be a lot to be celebrating very excited <laughs> the last couple of years have been an incredible challenge um, and those words are not nearly strong enough to convey the enormous amount of change transition challenge that has faced not just Albuquerque Public Schools, but all of our districts across the country. What do you want the community to know about Albuquerque Public Schools? That's a, you know, God, I always lead with this when I think about the last couple of years and where we've been, and especially if I'm in front of students, the first group that I think are students. They made a huge sacrifice, there's no doubt, and we need to remember the sacrifice that they made so that our country could get healthy. Mm -hmm. um, it was a huge sacrifice. Some things worked, some things didn't work, but I always make it a point to thank our young people for what they did so that we could get to the other side of this pandemic. Um, I'm a public health person, so you know that. And mm -hmm. um, it was, um, I remember being part of school health and doing pandemic planning. We had planned for this, but we never planned for something that was gonna go on for two years. We planned at most for something that was gonna go and last maybe for six months. So, so when I think of just the struggle that we've been through, um, I also am reminded of the resilience that we did have getting through that. Um, and I see the resilience 
in one, the students, um, you know, coming back to school, really working hard, asking for rigor, you know, wanting to catch up and doing those things. I mean, students are listening to us, too. They know that they sacrifice something in that process. They sacrifice some of their academics. But it's not for them. I mean, if not for them, we wouldn't be in the spaces where we are, where people can continue to work and people could be healthy and we didn't lose as many people as we, we could have lost. And so I, I always remind young people, too, is that what's going to get us through this other side, too, for them on their academics is their resilience and is their stick to itiveness But we also, as adults, have to work hard and we need to be patient um, because I believe they're going to catch up. I mean, I think they're already catching up. We're starting to see, you know, students just do some incredible things with themselves. And um, I just... I, I'm, I'm grateful that the district was, um, had as many resources as we did have, that we could assist, especially families in District 1, where food insecurity was a huge issue, where health care was definitely a big concern, um, where families were really worried about, you know, being able to continue to work and to remain healthy. Um, I was grateful that the district was able to turn on a dime and do the things that we did rather quickly. Um, and I think people need to remember that being part of a large urban district afforded us that. There mm-hmm. were some districts that couldn't do that, couldn't do it as quickly as we could. And so while we had as many resources as we had, we also know there were places where we just fell short. And I think education as a whole across the country fell short in many places. And we're, we're going to catch up. We're all doing our best so that we can do that. The student outcomes focused governance you know, putting this new strategic plan in and being real intentional around the kinds of professional development our teachers are asking for and need, um, I think are going to help us. They're definitely going to get us there. Well, I'm, I'm excited and I think um, I'm very grateful that you joined us for this conversation today because I hope that more and more and more people in the community every day are hearing about the work that the board is doing, getting engaged in that work, following along with the work so that we can all celebrate when when the results come, which we know they will. The evidence tells us you guys are doing all the right things to make sure that we're in a better spot a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So thank you so much for the work that you're leading on the board and everything that you all are doing to to serve the community. We appreciate it. You know, and thank you too for your advocacy. I I watch you a lot and I listen to some of the things that you all are doing. I listen to your podcast. And I'm grateful that, you know, there are, that, that you're out there and that there's this whole community that's really wants to not just kind of point a finger at us and be upset with us, but really be in the trenches of like, how can we make it better? Um, and that's, you know, that's the ultimate reason why anybody's on the board is knowing that there are things that are probably not perfect. There are things that are great. Absolutely. There's absolutely wonderful things. But also just knowing that we have friends out there, <laughs> that people really want to see schools do better and be better and you know, just want the best for our students. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Well, thank you. (laughs) We're mutually appreciative of each other. (laughs) All right, let's close out with some rapid fire questions. Who was your favorite teacher? Yes, this is my favorite one. My favorite teacher was my English teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Cedillo. And the reason I picked him, and he, hands down every time everybody asked me, it's Mr. Cedillo. In English class, he taught us how to really analyze a book. I took him for, you know, I had literature, creative writing, and just senior English. 
And it was with him that he taught me the importance of like really tearing a novel apart and what was it telling me, but not because of what it we thought literal, you know, what what people would want to hear, but he really wanted to hear, how does it resonate with you? And so this point to this day, when I'm reading a novel, if there's like a, a, a line, a quote, something in there, I stop, I highlight it, and I still think, why is this so important to me? Why is this resonating with me? Plus, he was also the one that asked me the most important question, where are you going to school? Um, I hadn't had plans to go to college. Uh, my family, I was first and nobody had ever gone to college. So I was the first in my family on both sides to go to college. And it's not that my parents didn't think about that. I think my parents didn't know they could afford it. Um, there was a lot of worry about how would she go to college. So Mr. Cedillo asked that important question, where are you going to go to college? And I told him, I don't think I am. And he says, oh, no, you are. <laughs> and so he's the one that helped me. Um, he helped me apply for FAFSA. I went to college for free because I qualified under Pell, so I tell everyone I got college for free, I remember. I only had to pay for books uh, occasionally, and I remember working so I could do that. Um, and in my first semester when I was at UNM, he had me go to his classroom every Friday so that I could go. I know I'm going to get teary-eyed thinking about it, but I would go every Friday um, to just review what I had done in class that week at UNM. And um, just so he could cheer me on. I mean, because he literally cheered me on, said, you're going to get it done. You're going to get it done. And I did. That's so. Uh, I love it. I'm, you got me teary-eyed. Um, it's, it's, I think, I hope everyone has that experience of the teacher that really helped them realize that their maybe internalized dreams were mm -hmm. okay to, like, dream mm -hmm. out loud. So. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite go-to order at a Mexican restaurant? <laughs> I love breakfast for dinner, so I'm a huevos rancheros. Uh, that's my favorite, red chili. There's something about Mexican breakfast with that green, you know, with red chili on your eggs. Always go for huevos rancheros, even if it's in the evening. Do you have a favorite red chili? I don't. Huh. My mom's? I know, right? <laughs> that's the right answer. Mine, mine or is mine? my grandma's. I make great red chili. <laughs> Um, what song do you listen to when you need motivation? You know, when I think about music, there's, I'm a, so we're going to, I'm going to date myself here. So I'm a big jazz aficionado. My father was a musician, so we listened to jazz growing up, and it was all kinds of jazz. But I'm also R&B, old style R&B, nice 70s. And there's two songs that are on my playlist. The first one is by the Isley Brothers called Fight the Power. Love it. And the reason for that is because it starts out with time is truly wasting and there's no guarantee. And that song always motivates me, whether I'm working out or whether I'm thinking of something that's going to be hard to do, because time is truly wasting and there's no guarantee. And then my second favorite song is Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. Mm. And always because it's like, I want to keep on trying till I reach my higher ground. And um, I try to live by those words. I'm going to keep on trying until I reach my higher ground. Because there's always, I'm a work in progress. We're all works in progress. And there's always places we can go and we can continue to improve ourselves. Those are both great, great choices. I'm going <laughs> to add them to my playlist when I leave. Um, to close this out, what's your hope for education in New Mexico? You know, I, I think in starting, I just want to go back to the beginning, you know, in terms of what I said about um, 
I didn't feel so good coming from the community I was from. And so my hope for education is that a student doesn't have to feel that they came for, or that their education was like second rate somehow or that they didn't measure up. That's my hope. I want kids to be proud of the education that they've received and be proud of what they've learned and how they've used it. I want them to be proud of what they, are, what they know and what they're able to do. And um, that's just my biggest goal for them is I just want them to have that sense of, yay, I'm a raven, or yay, I'm a monarch, or yay, I'm, you know, whatever school I'm from. But I just want them to be really proud of being from this district and from our state. President Montoya Cordova, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing about the work of Albuquerque Public Schools, for sharing with us your personal background and the reason that you serve. We are grateful for you, and we're so glad you were here. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I had a great time. Now, let's cover a few pieces of education news that you may be interested in. As discussed in today's episode, on Wednesday, April 5th, the APS board approved a new school calendar for next year. The calendar adds four instructional days, and students will begin next school year on Thursday, August 3rd. Though summer break will be shorter, winter and spring breaks will be longer. All New Mexico school districts and charter schools are required to submit their plans to meet the recent increase in instructional hour requirement passed by the legislature to the Public Education Department by April 14th. Tune into your local district's website, social media, and board meetings to weigh in on the new school calendars. Governor Lujan Grisham's bill review period ended Friday, April 7th. Some actions made by the governor include vetoing House Bill 126, the proposed change to graduation requirements. In the governor's veto message, she said that she believes HB 126 weakens graduation requirements and stated, the challenges of the 21st century demand that our students be well-prepared, well-educated, and well-rounded individuals. And she encouraged the legislature to work with her office in the interim to find alternate ways to change New Mexico's graduation requirements. Governor Lujan Grisham signed House Bill 481, which incentivizes school districts to adopt instructional materials aligned with structured literacy, which will allow New Mexico students to have better reading instruction in the early grades. And finally, Governor Lujan Grisham also signed House Bill 2, the state's budget. This year's budget includes $4.1 billion for New Mexico public schools, an 8% increase from last year's $3.8 billion. The K-12 education budget in New Mexico makes up 44% of the state's total budget. And this year's education budget is a $1.3 billion increase over the past decade. That's all we've got for you today. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Starting a new podcast is tough, so we'd appreciate you sharing this podcast episode and our others with your friends, families, and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Music